Welcome to another episode of Men of the Prize, the podcast. I'm Harvey, your host. I hope you had a good week. And we're going to just talk. This week, this interview was different from what I've had so far. This week, we're talking with a man who dealt with addiction. And his story is it's interesting. He went through a lot and he's come out the other end, a better man. And it took a long time, but he got there. This is quite a story. He gets right into it. And I I just love listening to people triumph over just bad things that happen. And this was a great one. Um, before we get to him, because I'm not going to talk too much, I really want to just get to this interview. But this week, my quote is, you never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice, Bob Marley. And I think that resonates with all of us, but in particular men, because life is gonna hit you with something and there's no way around it. You have to survive. You have to deal with it. So you have to be strong. There's just no other option. And I think as men, we are, you know, we are thrown into situations where we just have to do. We have to be the man. We have to be the protector, be the provider. We have to just be. And in this case, we're talking about strength from Bob Marley. So I hope that quote means something to you. Let's get right to this episode. Dan Reeves is the guest this week. The case study this week, the prize is Dan Reeves. Enjoy this episode, and I'll see you next week. One, welcome to Men Are the Prize, the podcast. Again, I am lucky every week to get a man on here to talk about life and our struggles and our issues. And this week, Dan Reeves is on here with us. How are you doing today, Dan? I am doing super fantastic today. Excellent, excellent. Um, your story is a great one, and I feel like through us talking, we get to hear about it. And like I mentioned earlier, I think your story is going to be really inspiring, really good for people to hear. Before we get to it, here's some info for you about me. I am an expert in one thing, and that is being me. So this podcast is an, is an opportunity for men to just talk about being a man. Our struggles, life, our ups, downs, our struggles, our triumphs, everything that's happened. This is an opportunity to communicate. And I hope with this communication that you hear, it'll lead to good things for you. But if it leads to bad things and you need to talk to somebody, please take this opportunity to find somebody, somebody who's trained, a friend, anyone to talk to about your issues. I am not trained. I can't diagnose. All I can do is talk with somebody. But if it leads you to talking to somebody and doing something we men don't typically do, which is open up and talk about our issues, then it's been a successful episode. So again, hopefully we lead to something good, but if it leads to something bad, find somebody who can help you out. And with that said, it's time to get started. Dan, you ready? Yep, I'm ready. I, uh, you know, one of the things is that uh, I found myself uh, pinched trying to compress the important points into a into a a, a, a timeline but uh 
my story is of one of a you know chemical dependency addiction substance abuse um i grew up as i i I, man i had nothing sitting around me that would lead me that lead people to believe i was going down that path you know there's certain people and there's certain you know uh your you know a rough childhood uh mediocre or less parenting uh none of that kind of stuff really uh was in my in my past but nonetheless uh i had that thing that that most you know a lot of people talk about is that 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 feeling of being outside the circle you know i never felt like you know i was always trying to like be in you know as i know that's part of why i was wanting to join sports teams is because i wanted to be part of something part of the group you know and uh and and drugs and and booze is what uh opened that door for me at a young age and uh you know you'd never think that uh you know at whatever it was 12 13 14 years old when i first started playing with that stuff that uh my eventual uh where that was going to end up leading me you know it's it's just all it was all fun and games but you know i got i i had a really you know everything was really really normal i mean graduated high school, started going to college, got a good job. They started promoting me past my thoughts of needing any more college. These people are paying me enough. Why do I need to, <laughs> why do I need to go to school? Uh, that was like, all right, I'm off the hook on that. And, uh, you know, got married to a beautiful woman, had two beautiful children, had a big, nice house, two cars in the garage, uh, a growing 401k fund. And I drank a few beers at night and I like to smoke a little weed now and then. And, uh, but I did dabble. And from the time I was young, I would dabble in the harder stuff here and there, but it never really was something that I was doing on a regular basis. Uh, the alcohol did, uh, start running away with me and I realized, you know, and, and, and I can only see this stuff in the rearview mirror. I cannot see it like as I'm doing it, you know? So it wasn't like I'm walking down this path, knowing what I'm doing, but as the, the, the quantities of beer it took to get where I needed to be day after day grew, you know, I was come home and drink a couple one grill and out and maybe another one or something before you know as the night went on you know all of a sudden i just found out you know i'm drinking 12 beers a night you know i come home from work and i'm knocking down 12 and i'm really not really feeling all that you know i mean it seems normal but as with uh, most alcoholics the what you know at one point that substance was the solution right it was what actually helped me get by the day and dump the stress from the work day or you know allowed me to let loose on saturday night you know it was actually a solution for something uh it ended it, it ended up stopping working and uh when it stopped working um my mom had a back surgery and she was always like a hypochondriac. Uh, she had a lot of, and, and I don't know if that's really the right term or not, but she, she was always in a hospital and always having something done. And, uh, I come by here one day to pick up my kids and she had, uh, I was walking around the house, had three or four beers in me, you know, from work to her house. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and I, you know, and the alcohol wasn't working and I found, uh, I walked pacing this house and I found, uh, her, two bottles of prescription medication were sitting beside her bed. And I just, for who knows, you know, I don't even, I can remember doing it, but I went over and I picked them up and I read them and both of them said for pain. And there was one thing I did know I had pain. That was what I had at the moment. And so I shook out a couple of those pills each and put them in my pocket. Uh, actually I took two, took the two big ones and put the two little ones in my pocket. And, uh, and then once again, just like when I was 12 or 13 years old and first found alcohol in the, in, in that and making my life, all of a sudden I found the golden key again and I was working, you know, life was okay again, just like in 30 minutes from the time of taking those two pills, life was okay. But 
I didn't know that slip. You know, you don't, you certainly don't see that where the path that that's what's the slippery slope that you're standing at. And, uh, you know, I ended up, uh, uh, taking those pills from my mom all the time. There's no joke around the uh, recovery circles about I'll steal your drugs and help you look for them. And, uh, and, and I did that with my mom. Uh, I would take her drugs and she would call me up and tell me they're missing. And I'd come over here and brainstorm with her. And I say over here because I've had since bought my parents' house. So I live in the same home as what I grew up in. Okay. okay. So that's why the here thing is going on. Uh, mm -hmm. But I would go to my mom's and sit down and, and we would think about who might have stole, stole her pills, you know, and um, when when I couldn't get them from her, she started locking them up. Uh, most people go to the black market and go out buying them on the streets. Uh, I don't know why I would say that, you know, I was too scared to do that. So instead, what I did, if I visited you and checked out your medicine cabinet, People had them everywhere, you know, everywhere I went. So I cleaned out my aunts and uncles and my grandparents and your grandparents and your aunts and uncles and anywhere I went. And eventually that uh, wasn't sustaining it either. And I started breaking in houses and, you know, to think about the fact that I was doing that, you know, like I said, I had a, I had a job at that point I'd held for over 20 years. I was an engineer at a place here in Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, you know, I looked everything around me looked nice and shiny, but inside I was dead and I was walking around at night, going, breaking in houses, whether you was home or not. And it really blows me away to think back at like how successful I was at doing that. Uh, but as with all things that came to an end and, uh, there was a guy across the street, no guy that I was like, a, uh, I could always go over there and get something. And I, I used him like as a safety valve when I couldn't get him any place else. He was my, my, my safety valve and uh i went over there one night and snuck in his house their home he's watching tv i walk right in his bedroom and uh watching him sleep there and reach in his drawer his dresser drawer and grab a pills and shake them out and i turned around and uh his 50 something year old son was standing there with pepper spray and a ball bat mm. he hit me right in the eyes with the pepper spray started laying into me with that ball bat i busted past him and uh and and uh got out of the house he thought that maybe, you know, he knew who I was. And now the twist to this is, is that he had caught me doing the same thing six months earlier. And I was one of my trips to rehab. I have multiple choice, multiple little one week trips to rehab and get trying, trying, and, you know, with all my heart, really trying to get better. But, uh, you know, I'd fall back into my own pat old patterns again. Um, that ended up resulting in a, uh, and some felony charges of burglary. And uh, I remember going down in front of the judge here in New Omni, and he said the, the, the crime I committed is uh, punishable by uh, six to 20 years in the Indiana Department of Corrections. Now, looking back, I don't really think they'd ever gave me that. But at the time, the judge, the prosecutor, my lawyer, uh, all had me convinced that was a root could be a reality and it set for a long time on uh they come down to that minimum sentence of six years and you know i had guys telling me don't worry about it, brother it's it, in indiana you only serve three <laughs> and you know my life up to then you know i am not looking to go to prison and that begins the thoughts of like how do i get out of that uh suicide and stuff like that start crossing your mind <clears throat> and uh man i was in the darkest spot uh, by that point i'd uh in 2011, I had uh, made my first run, real run at getting sober. I put together a year of sobriety. My family was, life was could never be better, and I relapsed. And my wife at that point was like, no more. 
And and so I, I gave, I, you know, my, my mouth wants to say that I lost my marriage, but what I did, I wholesale gave it away. Uh, <laughs> I traded it off. Uh, I didn't lose anything. I gave it away. And um, so by now I'm divorced. Uh, uh, my kids can't come stay the night with me because of the things I'm doing. I can't be trusted. Uh, you know, everything is just completely collapsing around me. My mom is sick uh, and, and appears to be passing away. Uh, which she did eventually, uh, just life was in a real, real dark spot, man. And, and I describe it like this, you know, I was, uh, I was in a painted black inside a cardboard box had been painted black and I couldn't see anything, but there was one little speck down in the corner, a little pinhole. And that was some guys offering me the 12 steps, 12 steps, Alcoholics Anonymous. And although I did not think they would work, it was the only hole of light in the box. Uh, <clears throat> I ran into a particular uh, guy and I say a couple of things when I speak, you know, uh, about this, um, you know, that we, we have a whole lot of cliches in, in 12 step recovery. And, and one of them is keep coming back. And, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, keep coming back, you know, and, and, <clears throat> and you get a little worn out on the, on the little slogans and stuff, but I'm definitely a product of keep coming back. Cause I kept on going back to that over and over and over again. They say, keep coming back until the miracle happens. And, uh, there's a there's an age old quote like you said of you know when the student is ready the teacher will appear right and uh, and and at that time I had that sufficient dose of desperation that seems to be necessary in order for one to recover from uh, from from addiction and alcoholism and uh, and I met the right guy and uh, I had I, I what I say I know I did today and again this is looking in the rearview mirror I pushed all my chips to the middle of the table. And I just said, okay, let's just do this 12 step thing as hard as I can do it, you know, because most any other problem I had in my life or any other challenge, my own willpower, my, my go get it would make it happen. You know, I could make, I could achieve anything I wanted to achieve, but I couldn't beat this thing. And so I gave 12 steps my all and, uh, and ended up, uh, for, for reasons that I don't understand today, I call I have what in my phone. I started it on paper. What's what I call my miracle list, and uh, some really funny stuff started happening. You know, I was uh, out of the blue. My sponsor said, "Why don't you ask them for home incarceration again?" And I said, "Christopher, I have asked for home incarceration a bunch of times. They told me you can't do home incarceration in that house because you was breaking into that house, the one across the street, and all my neighbors. You know, I was." persona non grata you know they didn't want they wanted they were going down talking to the prosecutor and wanting me to be, be uh to serve some time you know I, I i violated this the neighborhood security you know i was a danger i no doubt uh, I, I understand them seeing me that way and uh, and i asked one more time and for whatever reason when i started and i've seen this happen over and over again when a guy or gal you know my my frame of reference is guys so i'll say that but the uh, same thing goes with with gals um, when they turn their wind, their nose into that wind of 12 steps, when they start heading down that path and actually start, their lives will start changing right then and things will start happening for them. And, you know, uh, and when I took those steps to do that magically from six years in prison, they're entertaining me doing home incarceration. And I don't know how that happens. And then they wouldn't let me do home incarceration here. So I worked a deal. I thought about going to a men's recovery house or something like that. And I worked a deal with them to, that I would move in with my mom and dad and do my here. I'm 45 years old. I'm move back in with mom and dad, and do my home incarceration. Cause they, we come down to a deal that said a year of home incarceration, a year of probation. And then a third year on the shelf, uh, 
that would be suspended if I completed successfully completed the other two things. And so they, they went for that. And uh, the week before I was supposed to get, uh, you know, for the formal sentencing and stuff, I was, uh, went over to my mom and dad's house to uh, um, start cleaning up the third bedroom for me to move into. There was my mom again with the pills next to her and she was having a struggle too. And my understanding was that she was, she had gotten off of them. But when I went over that day, I could plainly see in her body language and stuff that she was not off of them. And I could see that prescription bottle sitting beside her. And uh, there's been a few times in my life, and, and I can remember this over and over of like these, this in my head, uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But you know, uh, a bell went off and I thought, yes, I do know what to do. You call your sponsor. And I simply called that other human being. And that was part of what you were saying earlier in the, in the, in the intro about talk to somebody, you know, the value of that is it, it cannot be uh, overstated. Call somebody, talk to them, uh, trained or not trained. Uh, there is some value of, of dumping that energy out of your body and rather than what the male kind of thing is is to stuff it down in there so you know i called him and uh he he, he said don't worry about it uh we'll get you into a men's recovery center or something we can't go back and change our deal so you're just gonna have to suck it up buddy and you're just gonna have to do what you need to do and we'll get you out of there as soon as we can and we'll get you in some other place and uh i went down to do that court hearing he dealt me what he told me and he said what I want you to do, he said, this is going to allow you an opportunity to uh, test your reliance on higher power. And at that time, I didn't know really what that language, what I really heard him say is I was going to have to test God. I was going to put God to the test, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm really up for that. And uh, he said, would you up? What I would do is uh, I'd pray all week. Like I'd never prayed before. He said, uh, I'd simply pray for God to support your recovery. And, uh, and I did that. And, uh, and I did that like I meant it. And I went down to the downtown to go down and get my formal sentencing. And they take you back in this room and, and read the papers and sign them and everything. And then they take you out in front and do the court report court recorded thing where they slam the gavel and all that. Well, they took me back there and I was reading this paper to see, and it said, you will uh, serve a year of home incarceration at, and at the following address. And it had my home address on it. It did not have my mom and dad's address on it. And I remember that hit me like a gong, you know, uh, they were adamant that I not do this here, but that piece of paper said my home address and I'm wanting to tell them and, and my head's spinning so fast that I can't even really process anything. I don't, I don't recall going out and being sentenced because I had this, this mistake that the, that the state had made, uh, that I was going to have to rectify or whatever. And, uh, I, once again, I walked out of there, man, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I, uh, called my sponsor and he started laughing and I always hate it when he does that uh, starts giggling and he said uh another little inside jokes we have he said you know what that is don't you and uh my, my mind wants to go yeah here I know you know and like I will tell you the spiritual significance of this particular thing uh I found out the, the right answer is uh no sponsor I don't know what that is why don't you tell me <laughs> and uh I had some friends in uh, recovery tell me that this is a program of rigorous honesty. It does say that in our book. And uh, they told me I should go down there and tell them that they'd made a mistake. Uh, my sponsors told me that that would be undoing God's work. And I served out that time. And, uh, you know, I was going to a meeting a day. They let me do, they let me go take my kids to where they needed to be. They let me go to work and they let me go to recovery. That's the only thing I did for a year. 
you know, and when you can't leave the house, you go to a meeting every night. <laughs> and, uh, and I had this spiritual awakening, this, uh, this, this psychic change that happens when we do the work that's prescribed in the 12 steps and, uh, and, and my life changed forever. And, and my, my, my purpose in my life today is to, uh, give that away, uh, to, to, to continue to, to guide guys through and, uh, We've got a program here in Louisville where we're offering the 12 steps to anybody. You don't have to be an alcoholic or an addict. And typically in 12 step circles, you don't cross the gender lines in sponsorship. And there's plenty of reasons we can all understand why that's may not be a good idea, but we didn't have any females, uh, had been through the program. So my sponsor and I, so I've sponsored some females too. And again, everybody that I see that truly turns their nose into the wind of the 12 steps and, and takes it, uh, seriously, their, their lives gets better. And, uh, and, and that's what I do today. I, I handyman and I would, I got a little wood shop in my backyard that lot, uh, you know, I was four years sober and I lost that job I'd held for 28 years, you know, uh, but it wasn't in my heart no more. You know, I wasn't, that wasn't, working there was no longer in my heart. I was having trouble waking up in the morning, getting to work and all that. And, uh, and the universe fixed it for me. And I got this little wood shop where I make wood, custom wood work for people. And I go around town and a handyman and those things keep the lights on and the car pay, the insurance car, uh, the insurance paid up and, and stuff like that. Uh, but my life today is, uh, walking people through these 12 steps and, and, and watching them, watching those lives change in the, in the lives of the people around them too, because, uh, one of the biggest lies of the addict is that I'm not hurting anybody but myself. And, um, actually today, just today, I, uh, I never knew death. Like I've known death since coming into recovery. There's not a week that goes by that. I don't know somebody that dies, of degree or two or three away from me and just this morning we've had a guy young guy in his middle 20s or something just came back from like a four-month out-of-state rehab and by all accounts and looking at him he's doing great and uh his dad found him dead in the bathroom this morning and uh you know the the damage we do to our families uh when we choose to to destroy ourselves with the dope and the booze is just uh it's heartbreaking okay. wow um, quite a bit oh, of information. Kind of vomited a whole bunch of stuff there. <laughs> oh no, you just went at a high. <laughs> that's the quick, uh, the quick and dirty of, uh, of, uh, what, what got me to where I am today. And, um, you know, uh, I've heard you talk, uh, with, with another gentleman and talking about the purpose of our life. What's your purpose? And it's part of the prize thing, right? Right. The P yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I know the answer to that today you know and that's one of the things the 12-step recovery gave me is that i found my purpose in life and and i truly believe that today now i don't know if this will be my purpose next week or in the next year but i know right now my purpose is to carry this 12-step message with every drum i got <laughs> holler from the mountaintops that's good it's amazing sounds like it was a godsend it was just the thing that you needed to kind of just get your life back together I and mean, it's yeah yeah, and what I think, you think is the worst thing ever ends up being the best thing ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all about perspective. Yeah. When it's the thing you need, it's it comes at the right time. And that sounds like your story. You struggled, but you were saved. Things kind of dropped in. It's interesting to hear how things worked out for you. And I appreciate you getting right to the beginning of the prize thing because you covered Pete. So we'll just skip on. The next letter in the word prize is resilience. And that is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness. So 
just you, obviously your story is quite intricate. Can you think of a particular situation where you really discovered how resilient you are or you are? Uh, you know, there's some, there's, there's quite an experience when they throw an ankle bracelet on you and they know you're going to have to wear it for a year. You know, uh, the amount of freedom you lose, even though it's a lot better than going to prison. Right. Uh, you don't, I don't know how I'm going to do that. You know, I, 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 back then when it was coming, I had no idea how I was going to be able to, uh, one thing is that ankle bracelet costs a hundred dollars a week to wear it. So not only my freedoms being stomped on, I had to, you know, come up with, make sure I had that hundred extra hundred dollars a week to, uh, to wear it. And uh, time after time after time, uh, you know, for, for me, resilience and the strength to go on and, and, and is, a, is, is rooted in our one day at a time living. You know, anytime I'm either in the past or in the future, I'm in places that, that don't do me any good. Uh, I drive some people nuts around me with my, you know, what are you doing tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> I kind of have a little schedule of stuff. I know whose house I do a lot of handyman work. So I've got a little bit of lined up work going out like that, but, uh, but I really, uh, take this day at a time living, uh, um, seriously. And, you know, the question, sometimes it comes down to this, you know, am I okay right now? Yep. Roof's not leaking. Heat's on. I could tell, uh, you know, right now, nobody's uh, knocking on the door wanting money. Uh, I'm okay right now. Okay. Well, that's all you need to be. Just be okay right now. And we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, another biblical, you know, I, I'm not a big Bible guy at any level, not at all, but this awakening of my spirit that has happened has made me receptive to all these teachings that I used to reject. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm blown away. This is, this, uh, this is so interesting. Um, so resilience, you covered that. So since we kind of skipped it real quick, prize is kind of this mantra I kind of came up with, P-R-I-Z-E. P and R so far we've done. I skipped the I because it's the end of kind of this mantra for me. We go to Z and that represents the word zeal, which is enthusiastic devotion. And I kind of feel like you've answered it already, but I want to hear it again. What are you enthusiastically devoted to? There's absolutely not a single thing in my life that, that, that brings more joy in my life than watching uh, uh, a man transform from being this uh, burden on his family to turning around and working through this and become uh, what happens when that, that happens. It's, it's like taking a, a, a diamond out of the dirt and polishing it. And I take no credit for it. I just know the process. I just take a man through the process. It's not me. It's not Dan. I had to always remember that it's not me doing this. Uh, it's this power greater than myself, whatever you want to call that is uh, and part of that greater power is this thing uh, called the 12 steps. But, you know, today I can, uh, I walk through life somewhat childish, you know, and that's one of the things that we talk about is getting back to that. When I was, when you and I or anybody else was three years old and we had no cares in the world if we was hungry we let everybody know about it if we would you know we didn't have any problems speaking up for ourselves we were happy joyous and free and our spirits get stepped on by various things that happen in life whether if it's through divorce of your parents losing pets uh bullied at school 
um, you know, ad infinitum, you know, it just goes on infinitum. It just goes on and on to the things that can step on our spirit. And we become something that is not us anymore. <laughs> and uh, this 12 steps allowed me to get back to, to me. And today, I really, I mean, I, I actually like visualize myself as I move through life, uh, peeking around the corners with a smile on my face about what, what might be happening next. What kind of cool thing, what kind of miracle is going to come across the across the table next and you know to have that uh you said perspective earlier um to walk through life a lot of life in my opinion is how uh how i view it in my uh my my the way i see it you know and if i think i'm going to run into trouble all the time i will <laughs> and if i think there's going to be some really cool happy stuff and you know not good things around the corner and it's somewhat of a, you know, the power of positive thinking and this whole idea. And I don't know about all this. It's just New Albany, Indiana, Dan Reeves uh, thoughts on how he sees this is that, uh, that there is some manifesting going on, you know, and we can, you know, I maybe can't manifest a lottery ticket. You know, I, I don't, right. I, I don't think I can go that far, but I can manifest a, a happy, satisfying life by expecting it to be happy and satisfying you're per it's like you're working right with me the next letter is e and the word is expectation it's like you're leading me down this path like you've done this before <laughs> but i'm going to change the question a little bit just because of what you've been talking about so expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future what i've been asking my guests is what do they expect from themselves or for themselves in one year in five years and in 10 years but just based on what you're talking about, you are very much, I don't, micromanage is the wrong word. You're day to day. I'm going to live today and then we'll see what happens tomorrow. So my question is this, what do you expect of yourself every day? Uh, boy, every day. You know, uh, seems there's a certain certain attributes a, a human must have in their life in order to be have that i like the word satisfying life i don't know if happiness is you know can be expected all the time uh but to have a, a life that is satisfying and, and i don't mean that mediocre like satisfied like settling i mean a, a truly like a, a a the good end of the scale satisfying life is that one must be uh, uh in service to our brothers and sisters and without any expectation of anything coming about. So, you know, every day I keep my eyes open for who I can help and where I can do that. Uh, well, that's really my, my main goal. When I wake up in the morning and pray to this God, I don't understand. Uh, I ask to be shown who I can help. And uh, so from, a, from, from that, from a standpoint of like, what do I expect every day is I expect to get up, you know, and it's interesting because I found myself in this handyman business and, you know, that's what I do. You know, I ended up, I get to, you, you can't believe how happy people are when you fix their stuff. And it's interesting, like, again, how this, uh, when, when you begin to like move it, your trajectory becomes in the right direction. I call it like, I'm also a registered yoga teacher. And we talk about a lot about being in true North alignment, you know, part of, uh, part of a lot of yoga is alignment. And when I'm in alignment with my internal compass pointing true north and I'm where I'm where, where they have that internal feeling that you're 
where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, and when we hit that, some people call it the flow state, you know, there's some of that involved in there. Uh, but, uh, you know, how I got aligned and the next thing you know, cause I never had, you know, I just know how to fix stuff. You know, I, my dad taught me how to do this stuff. I didn't ever have any plans to be doing this. A realtor friend of mine called one day and wanted to know if I could fix something so she could get this house sold and I wasn't working. So I went over and did it. And then another one called another one. And the next thing you know, I've got a business going, uh, so I found myself in an occupation where I get to do the same thing. Now we're trading that for money in this case. Uh, I think there needs to be some of that in a person's life that is not for money. I think we have to, in order to have that satisfying life, we must be doing some kind of service with no, nothing, uh, no expectations in return uh, on that. But I also have, you know, I have goals. And so I had to pull back and, you know, that day and the time living it only go so far, you know, uh, I envision myself being full-time employed as I sunset i'm 52 years old i still got quite a bit of time i'm not looking at the end but yeah. i do have some dreams of, of sunsetting of going waking up in the morning making coffee and go out there and sit in that wood shop and make wood you know make wood furniture wood art and uh have that be my retirement plan you know and and i think it's going that way because my you know, in the beginning, my woodwork was maybe 10% of my income and 90% was handyman. And, you know, it's coming up to close to even maybe 60, 40 today. And, okay. uh, and so, so it's, it's heading that way, you know, and um, I can be looking forward to the future today. Uh, that's something too, that, uh, that even though with this day and time living, I'm excited about what, what, what the universe will bring into my life well, well i'll end on the expectation thing though because it's like a dirty word in 12 steps okay uh, okay there's a thought and, and you know there's no black and white right it's, it's always someplace in between some some shade of gray uh with that same thing with the word but that a lot of people will say expectation is a is a is a resentment in process or something it's so if i expect stuff i got to be careful expecting things out of people like expecting that my family members will be certain people because it'll end up being where I get let down when I start expect when I start setting up expectations uh I can I can I can end up getting hurt with that so uh that's behind that resentment expectation comment it's interesting way of looking at it again perspective yeah. that word can mean so many different things to different people and then obviously yeah. with the 12 step it has a different definition but can I ask, and I don't know, strange question, but I don't know. I'm interested to hear your answer. Obviously, your life took quite a turn with your addiction. If you could go back in time, would you change anything? Not a thing. Um, you know, like I'm a felon now. I actually did have to plead to a felony. I'm also a big firearms enthusiast. Well, there went that. <laughs> uh, now I have, I have an expectation because in the state of Indiana, when you've been good boy for eight years, you can apply to have that overturned. And okay. I expect uh, in January, I just celebrated seven years. So uh, in another year, I'll be able to go do that. But um, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if it's quotes or, 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 or writings about the, what, pressure does to create diamonds and you know how pressure is what it takes to do stuff you know yeah. we had the joseph campbell's hero story thing you know i have to go out and fight the dragon in order to 
to move to the next level, almost like a video game, you know, to exactly. continue to level up. So we have to have these, uh, we have to have these stressful moments in our lives in order to grow. Uh, it's kind of like one of the things that we talk about, like some people on raising children, you know, you put too much insulation around a child as you raise them, you don't allow them to have any hurt or any uh, stress and stuff. And then all of a sudden they pop out as a so-called adult in the real world. And, uh, you know, they're crushed because of not having had uh, that, not having grown through the hard stuff. So, uh, you know, um, you know, there's a piece of me that says I would like to not have, you know, boy, I wish I hadn't started all that alcohol and dope stuff because it really did took a took, you know, uh, man, it took it, it sure put my life for 30 years on a on a pretty rough uh, uh, trajectory to, to where I landed. But, you know, uh, what I have in my life today is a result of that. So, uh, no, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll stay, I'll, I will hold and stay where I'm at. <laughs> I, understand. Your thing. I, understand. I hear you. So the prize, obviously the purpose, resilience, zeal, and expectation for the letters, but it leads to the final, which is the I. So the way I kind of go about it is this, as men, obviously we have our different experiences, different issues, but we all have these expectations, these titles that we're supposed that are just thrown on us that are thrust upon us we are we're dad we're husband we're best friend we're employee we're all these things and we rarely get a chance to be just us because we're being these other things we're doing these other things because in a lot of cases we just have to that's life that's what being a man is but i want to ask you if we can take all these titles all these expectations off of you and it's just you at your base without anything else stopping or anything else holding you up. Who are you? That's a tough question. Uh, you know, we use that in that, like one of the metaphors to that is like the masks we wear in our different roles of our lives, you know, and when I'm at work, I have to play engineer. And when I'm at home, I play husband and father. And uh, like, I have parts to play. Uh, Boy, you know, when we're doing this 12 step stuff, and as I said earlier, trying to get back to, uh, to our true selves, you know, find our true voice, uh, when I'm in my true North, uh, today, I really do believe that I am the authentic Dan. You know, I think I've actually been able to finally remove all the masks and just be me and you can like me or don't like me. And, uh, and, and I can stand up and say stuff. And a lot of people kind of look at me funny when I say some of the things I say. Uh, but today I can, I can be me. Um, there's probably two places. And if I like, you know, cause these are masks too, right. To some extent. Um, and I will add three, man, when I'm sitting with an alcoholic and we're going through that big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm passing on what was so freely given to me, I am where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel exactly where I need to be when I'm sitting out there in that wood shop and creating some kind of piece of wood and sawdust is every place and it's in my hair and it's and uh, and it's two o'clock in the morning because I couldn't stop. You know, I'm working on some project and I can't stop. I just got finished. Not There's not going to be a finish, but I'm 90 percent finished with like my woodworkers wood bench. 
it's a, it's like a dream. I've been designing it on CAD for a while and I finally ended up deciding that I was, the winter time gets a little slow between Christmas and really between Christmas and when people start getting their tax returns or tax refunds, uh, it gets a little <laughs> slow in the handyman world. And, uh, and so I took that opportunity to build that and I would be out there building that bench until, uh, and it's like, I took every feature of every woodworking bench I've seen and, and built Dan's workbench. My extreme workbench has got three and a half inch thick, three and a half inch thick solid maple top. And, and when I'm out there doing that, I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel that. And probably the third place is, is in the woods. Uh, I like one of your last guests, Mike, and that's how I mean, he and I met was that, uh, you know, what people would like to say, uh, people I'll hear this said, Dan's a big time hunter. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of hunting and hardly any killing, but I don't have any problem with killing. That's not, it's just, there was a, there's a maturation process and people write about it, about the, as you go through doing that. But when I am in the middle of the Hoosier national forest and nobody's around and I can just sit and melt into the forest and watch God's creatures do what they do. Uh, I am exactly where I'm, where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And those three spots, man, are the, are the places where I truly feel home helping other alcoholics sitting out there in that wood bench or, or, uh, sitting out in the middle of the woods someplace fortunate to have, we've got, uh, 54 acres out in, uh, Orange County, Indiana, that joins Hoosier National Forest. So we've got thousands of acres out there. And, uh, when I was a year sober, uh, the group, the men's group I was part of was going to have a day long retreat. And, uh, it was across the County line where they let me go. So I couldn't go <laughs> the ankle brace that I even went and asked, I was like, it's recovery. And it's like, Nope, can't go across that County line. Nope. Okay. Well, <laughs> they had some trouble with it because people were like, uh, and they didn't mean to be, but people were walking through their stuff and there was some, it's a public place. So, you right. know, some of the stuff we're doing in 12 step stuff is getting vulnerable with one another. And if there's, people overhearing what you're talking about it's makes people tough to to let to let go of what's going on and uh so i said hey i got a piece of property out in the country but do y'all want to do that so i hold a men's retreat out there uh for the first few years i did twice a year but that was getting to be a little much but i hold this men's retreat out there and we get 20 25 guys to go out and spend the weekend and talk recovery and uh, i try to gather up some of the some of the healing type tools that are you know, as I said before, I got on here, you know, if you, uh, if you, if you're not looking in the right direction, you can seem to think the world is going to, into, a, into the toilet. And, uh, and I don't know if that's supposed to be, if that's the way, you know, some people would say, you know, that's the, that's the distraction they're trying to give us. I don't know who they are, but, uh, but fact is, is there's a whole lot of people putting a whole lot of good out into the universe, just like you, just like Mike, uh, what I hope I'm doing too. Um, and uh, if I keep my focus into those places, uh, my outlook on the future gets a lot better. And uh, getting to go out there and do that stuff like that, how holding that men's retreat and, and taking tools that I learned from from people that are in the in the uh, personal development community and uh, passing along. And there's just nothing. Uh, there's a guy, uh, Johan Hari, says the opposite of addiction is connection. And, uh, you know, when I said to start this out, I talked about wanting to be on the basketball team and, you know, wanting to uh, join the archery club and the whatever else, the, the things that allow you to be a part of. 
uh, we're all looking for like this tribe sort of thing. And that gets a little bit funny because there's some, there's some negative connotation being thrown around about the nationalism and, and tribal mentalities and stuff like that. But that's not, that's not the, the negative is not my, my thoughts here, but I have a group of men around me now, my, my Alcoholics Anonymous men's group who are in such a positive, uh, uh, vortex, that if you walk into us, you can't help but feel it. We had birthday night, Tuesday night, where we celebrated a guy's 365 days his first year, and a whole bunch of his family members come. And you can see the positivity from the men in my group wash over those people. You know, you can see it. It changes them at night. You know, they're different people when they walk out the door than when they walked in. And to be a part of that and uh, and have that community wrapped around me and uh, I just, man, it's it's. Uh, on my podcast, one of the things I close my podcast with is if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault because it's available. And uh, man, life is good today. That's good. And that's important. Life is good today. I like that. I mean, what I find interesting, and I have two more questions for you, but that camaraderie that you are lucky to be a part of, it's great that you have it it kind of feels like you shouldn't have to have this circumstance to have it though. feels like that kind of camaraderie. Men, we should just be, we should be connected like that just because we're men. Yep. Just because we're going through this life in this world and we have other issues, it's addiction or whatever, but to have that kind of connection, it would solve so many problems it would. because we would just talk. Yep. It seems like that broken, uh, you know, like the, the old adage of like, you know, it's the it's the wound where the light shines in or gets in. I can't remember exactly how that goes, you know, but, I know what you, mean. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the brokenness of every one of us uh, allowed us to come together. Right. And for that right. event, that kind of thing. Now, I'm also part of another community that, you know, golly, there's just so many good things I could be doing. That I had to pick and choose and, and everything can't be a yes today. I have to yeah. say no to some stuff, but I did get involved with a group called the Mankind Project. Okay. Have you heard Tell of us that? about it. No, I haven't. Uh, Please talk it about is. it. It's just men getting together. You know, when people ask me what it is, it's just a group of men helping other men be better men and dealing with men things. And there's pods of it all over the country and even in other countries and stuff too. So if you look up the Mankind Project and you're looking for some place to find this, without having any qualifications like an addiction or or that kind of thing uh that group is standing there and it's fantastic i mean i went through initiation weekend with them and 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 i would you know well one thing about the 12 steps is like we leak it out to you it's kind of secret you know and the magic of you not knowing what you're doing but you're just following my directions you know, there's a, there's a thing of, uh, there's an acronym for people use for God called good orderly directions, G O D gets good orderly directions. And if you'll take those good orderly directions in the mankind project and just say, okay, I'm in, uh, get buckle up buttercup. Cause things are getting ready to get cool. Uh, I went on this initiation weekend, man. And I explained it cause I can't really talk about it in detail because of what they did. And I don't want, you know, we actually had to sign some papers that said we wouldn't leak that out. Uh, and I totally understand why, because, uh, a, it would stop people from coming. They go, well, I ain't doing that. Right. And, uh, right. and, uh, B it would lose some of the effectiveness if, if, right. if you knew what you were getting into, but it was like being picked up by an alien for the weekend, okay. an alien ship, picked me up, carried me off 
did some things to me and brought me back home on Sunday and dropped me on my couch, man. And, uh, and, and it really was life-changing. It was a life-changing weekend. And, and those guys are doing that They're They have a weekly, you know, some groups have different things, but like the average thing is to have a weekly meeting. And, you know, that's what my men's home group does. My AA home group, we have a weekly meeting uh, cool. where we invite people to come and we have a format and it's organized and, uh, and they have this and they have a lot of really cool processes that help you deal with life's problems. You got to place, uh, there's this little thing and I, I may be able to take credit for this and most of everything I say, I picked up from someplace else. So I do not, uh, uh, I don't want to portray that. I know this stuff. This is stuff I've been taught, but, uh, there's a thing where like, I need to be able to, to discharge the negative energy of life to, uh, to the universe through safe people, right? I have to be able to do that to safe people. Cause if you take your stuff to the wrong guy, you know, you can get ridiculed. We probably as young men all had done that sometime of our life where we shared and got vulnerable with somebody that we shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And the next day at school, it's all over school. You know, there's a yep. sign hanging on your locker that says, guess what Dan did yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. And, and we learned that we couldn't be open with other men. And, you know, that's what I learned as I grew up. I learned that it was not safe to be vulnerable with other men. And, uh, you know, and undoing that training that I got, that piece of that training, uh, no different, you know, that's, I know I've been trained, you know, that life trained me to have certain personality traits. It made me to where I knew better than to talk to another guy. It made me codependent that needed a woman on my arm in order to feel like I was complete. Uh, you know, if I, if I didn't have a hostage, something, my life wasn't in the right direction. Uh, and uh, these things can allow you to untrain yourself. That's what the, the retrain my, uh, my very being. And uh, that, that the man, the, the, <laughs> it just escaped me the man project right mankind Mankind, that's what i was missing the mankind project uh that's what they do they have processes that allow you to come in and they will ask you know and, and they facilitate how to let this stuff go and when you show up and you see another guy being vulnerable and not getting run through the ringer for it and getting to perceive them, then, you know, that allows you the safety to come in next time and maybe get your thing out on the table or what you're going through. And, and, and just like you said, in the beginning of this, uh, you gotta have that. That's another one of these things for the satisfying life. You have to have a safe place you can go and, and, and discharge the negative energy of your life. You have to have some place to go ground yourself and it seems to need to happen through our brothers in our case, you know, and there's some value of a mixed thing, but men need to be able to go to places where men are at. And Mike was talking about that too. Hunting's kind of a facilitates that in a sense, right. because uh, it's primarily a man thing. You know, I don't want right. to get, it's not, there's women hunters and all that, Definitely. but it, it, it allowed it it, 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 it's a vehicle that allows men to get together. And with people they feel safe with, because we don't go hunting with guys we don't feel safe with. And, uh, and we can do that. And, uh, and the Mankind Project is, a, is just a fantastic. I'm a big fan of it. And I wish I could devote more time to it. But I actually had an elder in the program tell me, and he pulled me aside one day and he said, uh, our, our, 
here's what I believe the truth is. Are you willing to hear my truth? And I said, yeah. And he said, I think Dan is splitting his time and doing multiple things, not as well as he could do one thing. So I believe that you need to, and he's, you know, he did it in such a great way of truth speaking to one another. And that's something that really, really gets me. It's something about my sponsor. He will uh, turn on a dime on me and he'll go, all right, Dan, I had to put my sponsor hat because we've become best friends. Right. But he's right. still my sponsor, you know, right. so he will see something in me because I don't see me very well. You know, I don't, I don't see me very well. And he sees me real well. You know, he's kind of has a thermometer in my mouth all the time. I can tell where Dan is at. And, uh, and, and that guy took me by the hand and said, uh, uh, think you need to, you know, I think you're, uh, you need to do mankind or you need to do 12 steps. And I think you're, you're, you're doing a disservice to yourself and to others by splitting your time between the two. So I took that advice. And I'm very glad the guy pulled me aside. And it took a lot of balls from him, didn't too. You know, you don't know what kind of reaction he's going to get out of me when you, right? you know, when we can, uh, uh, another man thing is, is that, you know, when we get criticized at any level or even perceived criticism, our defenses go up like, you know, zero to 60 in a minute, yes, right? Yes. I mean, and we yes, all sir. feel it inside of us, whether if we actually outwardly do it, because I still feel it in me, you know, my ability to respond to things today instead of react to them is another another thing uh that a miracle of this is being able to respond to these stimuli that hit me and, and instead of doing my old reaction and, and i very well could have took that man's words uh poorly but he uh he had a solid enough footing that uh he he was willing to take that chance and 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 speak his truth to me good i got so much from that i found i am not a fan of guns i have personal issues i'm not a fan of them but i can understand how you can find peace with hunting and the forest and stuff. But the idea of being safe hunting because you only hunt with people you feel safe with is a phenomenal comment. It, 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 it's it's inter interesting to me because a bunch of people running out with weapons, but I'm never so safe. I guess I'm just trying to get an idea of what you're saying. I don't feel as safe as I do when I'm with a bunch of people who've got guns, who yeah. are hunting, who are doing whatever. And I'm like, that's such an interesting thing. And when you said that, I'm like, that's really good. I like that. Yeah, well, I was talking to Mike too, and it's kind of it's a kind of a uh, oxymoron or whatever that you know I feel safe in that situation. But you know, I don't I don't go hunting with guys I don't feel are safe right. people. Too much can go bad. Right. <laughs> There's too much. Yeah. Too much. You know, I don't I don't invite the kind of shaky guy, the guy that worries you, wondering. You know, I don't invite him to go hunting. Right. That's now today I'm primarily a bow hunter because I cannot possess a fire anymore. I've always, I've always been pretty much a bow hunter since I was a kid. Even okay. when my dad first started taking me hunting when I was a little guy, we mm -hmm. started bow hunting. It was like years later that I heard some guys were hunting deer with a gun, and I was like, "Well, hold on, we can do that. That'd be a lot easier." Uh, I think there was some also some safety stuff going on there. Why, why I was introduced to it through bow hunting. Uh, this little, little safer than opening day of firearm season in, in Southern Indiana can be kind of, uh, uh, kind of exciting. <laughs> what I would, as I'm here and I'm thinking about this being hunting or just doing anything outdoors with men who have weapons that, you know, to me, I correlate that with only talking to men and opening up to men that you feel comfortable with. I feel like your emotions, <clears throat> what you're willing to release is your 
is your weapon that you're handing to somebody. And you're not going to just do that with anybody. Right. So being able to go and hunt with somebody with a gun because you trust them is tantamount to me opening up and talking with the man that I trust because I know what I'm giving them, they're not going to play with. Right. Yeah, so I great. feel I, that's what I really got from that. But I have two more questions. So you've had such an experience, such a life that has led to you where you are now, quite peaceful. That's the feeling I get from you. Two questions. One, what are you afraid of that you can't control? Hmm. You know, um, I'm rooted in the big book and the big book has a thing that's, that says, uh, talks about fear. And uh, it's, there's a line that says the fabric of our existence is shot through with it. And that we're driven by fear. Uh, and, you know, for, for a lot of years, most of my decisions were based on fear. What, you know, I, that was the driving force on if I went, took road, the left road or the right road right. in life was what I was afraid might happen at the other one. Not, not, not positive. Uh, I'll tell you what I fear. I fear my children taking the same path as I'm taking as I took, and there ain't a dang thing I can do about it. Wow! Yeah, I'm watching my daughter do that. Um, yeah. I don't know, and I'm not. You know, she's gonna have to have her journey, and uh, right. we have another line in here that uh, then it's out of the big book too. And right? the big book is the AA's textbook, the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. It says. Um, that an alcoholic armed with the facts about himself can help another alcoholic like no other can. And that armed with the facts, that's where, you know, I can go to bed at night and know that I have armed those children with the facts <laughs> and, and that they the are, this has a genetic component. Right. Right. And you had, there's a good chance you got this. So someday you're going to pick up that Russian roulette pistol basically, because you are going to get offered drugs and alcohol period you're going to right and i want you to know what what you're doing when you pick that up you know i didn't know that really when i was a kid because i'm drinking and stuff was not the drugging but the drinking was normalized you know i didn't really see anybody i didn't i don't really remember many alcoholics around people that got angry and dirty when they drank and that kind of thing you know i saw mostly happiness you know and people you know having a few beers and and doing it the right way really you know i mean there's nothing wrong with alcohol there's nothing wrong with having a few drinks there's nothing wrong with it at all uh and until you do it the way i did it but uh that that is my biggest fear and there's uh you know the uh step one says that i admitted i was powerless over alcohol and uh and it doesn't say and it's there's a hyphen in there uh admitted we were powerless over alcohol hyphen that our lives had become unmanageable uh, two different concepts there, the unmanageability in my life and the powerless of my powerlessness of my life. And there's probably not a single thing in my life that's make me, got me more in touch with powerlessness is raising children. <laughs> I got four of them, three girls. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And my final question is what are you afraid of that you can control? Hmm. that I can control. Well, I don't know if I have an answer to that question. My life is not fear-based anymore. Uh, 
one of the things about working with lots of new people, like doing this sponsorship gig, uh, which I take seriously, and I believe it's a huge honor. I do thank this God I don't understand for allowing me to do that. And, uh, and this is not a toot my own horn. I think it's part of the process of what's given to me, but I've had phenomenal success. I mean, like, uh, you know, I've been sober seven years and, and I, and, and I take people down there to that cabin and do what we call the fifth step, which is like the confessional thing. And, uh, and I just did my 21st one down there, uh, which is just crazy. It shouldn't happen. It just, uh, but God keeps on sending me dudes that are ready. Uh, but to watch what happens is, is you get this mirror effect, right? When I look at him, I see me. And as he talks about what's going on in his life or way he feels, you know, uh, I'll feel, you know, it's like me too, me too, me too. And so people will come in and, uh, and then one thing about that is that fear driven life, something I'm afraid of that I can control. Man, I don't know what I can control. That might be a bigger thing is that I'm not sure I'm in control of much. Uh, there was a time in my life where I thought I was driving. <laughs> uh, there's another little acronym, a little saying thing about uh, this higher power thing. And it says, you know, it's like being on a tandem bicycle. I'm like on a tank and I use the word God because it rolls out easy. Uh, you know, and the, the, one of the biggest miracles in 12 step recovery is that we allow you to develop your own concept of a higher power. The part B of that is that we don't reject each other for what we chose. Right. So okay. we can talk and somebody can come up and say to me is Jesus Christ, your Lord and savior. And even though I'm not really there, I say yes, because I think they're speaking the same language as me It's like, if somebody come up to me and said, Hey, would you like some aqua aqua, you know, ask, I'm no wrong word. You know, uh, I don't want that. No, it's just bringing me water. Um, so riding on a tandem uh, bicycle with God, you know, he'll, uh, he'll help me steer, but he won't pedal. <laughs> I have to do the pedaling and I find my life goes better when I let go of the wheel and just say, okay, take me, where are we going today? You know? The old day I needed to just park the bike and get out and I needed to see the map, you know, Hey buddy, let's stop. You got to show me where we're going or else I ain't going, you know? And today I really am able to just, uh, let go of the wheel and pedal and watch what, watch what scenery passes by me. I guess, you know, to some extent is I do have some fear wrapped around about the self-employment thing. There's a, there's a, there's some insane fear that comes up every time I walk in a job. It's like a, if there's an anxiety that I get that I can't seem to let go of, of, I have this doubts of whether if I'm going to be able to do this or not, you know, I don't, it's, 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 uh, word is slipping me, but it, it's not rational right? because I, I go in and I do it <laughs> and I do it well. And then I go tomorrow and next week I'll be doing something like it. And I'm going away there and I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Uh, uh, and so there's some, there's some fear about whether this uh, self-employed gig is going to work out or not, but you know, I fall back. My fallback position is, is that, uh, heck I didn't pick it. And, uh, there's another one, you know, God didn't bring me here just to drop me off. You know, and I didn't, he didn't put me on this bus to, to have some stop down the road and here you go, Dan, as far as we're taking you, uh, 
so uh, I, I, I fully I fully expect that 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 the universe is supporting me today. I like that hearing you talk about it to me and I'm not I'm not particularly religious at all. So to me, it's we're moving through life, but somebody's directing. So you can't nobody can get you going, but you're going no matter what. It's where you turn left or right. Somebody's leading you in the right space. Yeah, to have that intuition and that like that, like that internal compass needle and like to have to know which way to go with it. And sometimes, uh, you know, this might seem a little crazy um the movie the matrix right mm-hmm. everybody's seen that you know and it's yeah. the blue pill and the red pill and i don't even know which one is which but i feel to some extent i took that one pill the right one that allows you to move on a different plane in the world and it's like being able to dodge the bullets and stuff you know the and and it kind of feels that way sometimes because i'm like whoa boy i'm glad that didn't hit me you know and and i can just keep on walking you know and the and cool stuff is what ends up landing in my lap time after time uh i walk in the grocery stores and i walk around man i see a lot of lost people i can see it in their eyes uh that they're just uh they're not enjoying this go around on this big blue marble we're getting and you can see the stress and you can see the anger and the worry and 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 you can almost feel it it's like palpable when when you move around through the world and uh and that's like having taken that other pill i don't feel that i feel it on you that's why we started that 12 steps for everybody here in Louisville. my sponsor has written a 12-step book it's called 12 Step spiritual recovery and um and again like when i came to aa and they told me i was spiritually sick you know actually what they said is they were spiritually sick you know we always keep it on me right um not you are there's nothing that runs people off faster than the, you are them and should on them and stuff uh but what I've, and i thought that meant that i wasn't participating in religion you know and i was offended even though i wasn't participating uh i was still who are you to tell me you know what what i come to believe today is that as i said earlier you know my spirit was born free and pure that baby out there in that uh delivery room comes out as pure as anything there is in life you know and then you start down the path of life and yet spirit that's inside of us that essence the soul the thing that is very that like my my metaphysical fingerprint nobody's is exactly like me right it starts getting stepped on by various things in life whatever it is and i start having my spirit stepped on and before long my spirit my very spirit was ill and that's what i feel like i've done here is i've healed my spirit the 12 steps has allowed me to 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 heal this illness in me that is my spirit that got sick as a result of living in this world and you know nobody was trying to hurt man there was nobody out there going, all right, let's get him. We'll mess him up this time. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what life is. You walk through life. And as we said earlier, you have difficulties and how you handle them. And, uh, you know, the teaching that you get on how to handle them, you know, it's one of the things as a father today that I believe I'm really good at is helping my kids work through not, not carrying them through their difficulties, right. but helping them um, navigate them. Uh, rather than, you know, and I had a father and mother that helped me navigate problems pretty well. I, I really am blessed with, with, with them. Uh, my dad lives with me now. He's passed through here a couple of times. He's 84 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had my back forever. He's taught me how to do everything I know how to do all this handyman stuff and all this, uh, all the woodworking. 
um, as a result of him and uh, and he's had my back in my story. And uh, when I got home that night, finally, after breaking in that house, I uh, was in the backyard and uh, a guy come over here and broke the windows and beat the heck out of my house with a baseball bat. And uh, I had a new girlfriend here. She was scared to death, but there was kids and uh, she called my parents and I'm out on the loose like some rabid animal in the street trying to figure out what I'm going to do now because I'm caught. And I kept on coming home and seeing the police lights on the street and disappearing and coming back and disappearing. Finally, it cooled down and I went out there and uh, I didn't know what to do. This was before I had a sponsor. I didn't know what to do. And I sat underneath a pine tree in my backyard, just on my butt with my knees up and my head down on my arms. And I didn't know what to do. And I heard my back door come open. And uh, I looked up and here come my dad. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know the dude beat my house up. I saw the commotion and all the lights on and it was around two in the morning or something. And he come out carrying two big buckets. And he started down the stepping stone path that leads to the, where we carry out the garbage. And, uh, and which was gonna be like 10 feet from me. And I was underneath that tree wadded up trying to be as small as I could possibly be because there was no way to move without him seeing me. And, and I heard, I, I still today, I heard those buckets hit the ground. And uh, what it was is all the glass he'd been sweeping up from that guy. Uh, but I heard those buckets hit the ground. And he said, Dan, is that you? Are you okay? Are you hurt? And uh, I said, well, I'm okay. And I'm not hurt. And my eyes are closed. And the next thing I felt was him sit down underneath that tree next to me and put his hand around me, put his arm around me. And, uh, and he said, I don't know why I remember this stuff and I don't know why he said it, but I will never forget it. He said, uh, let's go in take a shower, hit the sack. We'll deal with this tomorrow. It's all going to be okay. And, uh, he's had my back forever. And, uh, when mom died a few years ago and he was living alone and he was talking about needing a change and didn't like living in the house, my mom passed away in, and, uh, we made an arrangement to be roommates. So uh, I get to give back to him today, right? That's part of this deal too is, uh, you know, that's, that's also biblical and that's other things, but it's just the right thing to do that I get to have my, my dad is one of my best friends and, and uh, I get to give back to him today and uh, be the son that he always has deserved. Your story is wonderful. You know, I love it. And with that, how can people find you? Social media, website, podcast, where can people uh, find you? My uh, podcast is called the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, it's named that. That's the name of my AA home group. We initially were a group of people starting a podcast. And, uh, and after a little while, I was the only one holding the ball. Because uh, the podcast is a lot of work, ain't it? Yes, it is. Yes, uh, it is. And, uh, you know, it's all fun to sit here on the microphones and run your mouth, but, uh, when it comes to the rest of the stuff that you got to do, uh, so that's why it's, it's a spiritual underground podcast. You can find it at all the, all the podcast players, all the platforms. Uh, there is a, uh, email that's, and it's really long too, but it's Dan at spiritual underground dot O R G Dan at spiritual underground O R G. And I'm always looking for people, guests on my podcast. Uh, I'd invite anybody to listen to them. They are a little bit longer format. Um, I, I would, you know, anybody listening out there who would like one of the other thing, the other thing I see at the end of my podcast is thank you for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner today. 
because that's what I have to do. I have to participate in my recovery. I can't, it's not going to just rub off on me because I'm hanging around and being good. I have to do things. I have to pedal. And uh, anybody out there and anybody that's in the recovery world, and I invite others that, that have gotten uh, recovered by other means too. I invite, my thing is primarily 12 step, but I invite people that have recovered because I'm interested in those stories too. Uh, I know there's other ways to get sober than the 12 steps. Uh, but this is the only one I know, you know, this is the one that worked for me. And, uh, and I invite people to come in and tell their stories on, uh, uh, on their journey to recovery, whether if it was through the 12 steps or not. So if anybody out there wants to do that, I would invite people to give me, contact me. And, uh, I got a couple other little things, but that's really what I'm here for is to talk about the spiritual underground podcast. I will put all that information in the episode notes. This has been fantastic. Hearing your story, you obviously you lived it. You communicated so well. So I'm going to end this with a quote. And I read your bio, so I was interested. I kind of try to get an idea of who I'm going to talk to. And then I, I like quotes. So I just kind of search around and find. And what I found, and this might fit for you, it may not, but tell me what you think. Rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life. That is J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Well, I was wondering, it sounds, it's, it's, it sounds like a 12-step quote. Okay. All right, so it worked. All right. <laughs> I like it. And it's interesting. You know, there's all these teachers with parallel messages, you know, all the right. way from the, the uh, writers of these kind of, that kind of fiction and, you know, have got this the same message. It's really all the same message. That's just wrapped true. up and tied with a different color bow, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, all yeah. the world's religions are that, all the everything. It's really, you know, it's uh, help others. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and be good. Exactly. Be a good person and take care of yourself and your brothers and sisters. Yeah. I like that. Thank you very much. Dan. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it. It's fun. Oh, so did I. Yeah, I really, I enjoy these. That's that's why I love doing this. Gives me a buzz. <laughs> I get high today, you know, in a healthy way by doing these things. That's uh, good. Me too. I've really grown to enjoy talking to people. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Thank you to all the listeners for listening to the Man of the Prize podcast, where your inner monologue is revealed. I'll see you next week. Have a great day.